Hey man, good news. We are continuing our sale on our buy one, get one free Foundations of Masculinity 12 week course. This week's episode is lesson one from our Foundations of Masculinity. I hope you guys love it. Have a great week. We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Valentin. In 1993, Kruger National Park was experiencing an overpopulation of elephants. Now, the elephants used to be uh, endangered, but they had grown so much, the population had thrived, that they could not sustain it any longer. So they devised a plan to make a harness to fly these elephants out by helicopter to Plainsburg National Park. What they found was when they started to lift the bigger male elephants, the harnesses were ripping and breaking. And so they just thought, you know what? Let's take the younger male elephants and the uh, older females and we'll transport them all. Uh, time passed. Everything was great. Kruger National Park was awesome. The elephant population was back under control. Plainsburg was doing great until a little bit of time passed. And they started to find these dead white rhinoceroses, like these really endangered species of white rhinos dead. And the, the crazy thing about the rhinos being killed was they thought it was poachers at first at Plainsburg. They, they kept finding all these dead uh, rhinoceroses and they thought, man, what the heck's going on? The crazy thing about the killing of the rhinos was one, their horns were still there. So they realized this isn't poachers because a poacher would kill the rhino to get the horn. That's the only valuable thing. And as they did some more investigating, they realized, man, the rhinos were speared and gored by the elephant's tusks and trampled by elephants, which if you know elephant behavior, apparently I'm an expert on it, you realize that's not normal. That, that's not like normal elephant behavior. And so they set up game cameras and they started to watch what's, what's happening to these elephants. And what they realized was they were like bands of young male elephants attacking and terrorizing all kinds of animals, but especially the rhinoceroses. They were goring them, stomping them, crushing them. And so, man, everyone was kind of dumbfounded. The rangers got together, the biologists got together and thought, what the heck's going on? And what their theory was, was that when these male elephants, these young juvenile male elephants got into what's called must, which is like this breeding frenzy that happens, that they no longer had any older elephants to guide them in that. And so they just let their emotions completely take control of them and they were going nuts showing dominance. So they went back and they constructed much larger, much stronger harnesses and they flew in a few of the older male elephants. And sure enough, over the course of uh, a short time, these younger elephants that were stuck in this frenzy began to get fathered, bullied around a little bit, put back into their place by the older elephants. And essentially the older elephants went, listen, this isn't how we act. 
we don't just go knock stuff over. We don't just go terrorize all the other elephants. You're not acting like an elephant. You're acting like a juvenile. And everything got back into order once they placed these older male elephants in there to kind of father, to show them, to demonstrate what it means to be an elephant. It's really interesting. You know, the first time I heard that story, I was like, holy cow. That explains the role of a father almost perfectly when you look at it. I mean, it, it, it also explains what's happening in our day and age. If you look at men in our day and age compared to how your dad grew up, doesn't even matter how, you, how old you are, how your great-grandfather grew up, you know, in our world today, men are experiencing the same amount of, like, ooh, abuse of freedom, abuse of power, uh, that roaming spirit where they take what they want, where they act out. If you look around in society today, you'll see just so much of that. And you start to go, well, where did we miss it? Like, how did we get from my grandfather? And I realized, we'll talk about this later, but I realized that that's not all. It wasn't like, oh, my grandfather, everything was perfect there. No, I don't believe that's true. But where we've swung to as men, what we feel like is okay, how we treat women, how we handle our sexuality, how we look at what it means to be a man. We have swung so far into kind of what it looks like when you don't have wise adult male elephants in a herd. When you pull them out, it looks like young guys taking what they want, doing what they can to get a leg up, selfishness. When you start to look at how did we get here, you know, you gotta go all the way back to 1960s. I like the 60s, I like 60s music. I grew up listening to it uh, most of my life thanks to my dad and thanks to his mom who loved uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Maybe that's actually like the 50s, I don't even know, but that's, that's what I was, was told was the 60s growing up. And uh, when you look at the 60s, something happened in the 60s you started to see the free love, the uh, revolution. Yeah, the free love revolution just kind of took over. And 1969, Woodstock happens. 400,000 people cram into open fields and they begin to party, they begin to drink, they begin to uh, celebrate freedom, free love. Uh, this idea that love shouldn't have any limits. If you love somebody, if you, uh, there's a song that says, if you can't be with the one you love, then love the one you're with. It's like this idea that you just give love away wherever you can. And that's, that is like the pinnacle of life, giving love wherever you can. Well, think about it for a second. What happens when a man no longer has to be respectful. He no longer has to be safe. He no longer has to, I'll use an old school word, court. 
do go through a process of winning the heart of a woman, of showing, no, I have what it takes to what? I have what it takes to take care of you if I get you pregnant. I have what it takes to take care of you in marriage. I have what it takes to provide for you emotionally. I mean, that, that is what it used to take to get a woman pregnant. I mean, honestly, when my dad met my mom, my mom had standards. Although they were really young, my mom and dad didn't just live together. They weren't Christians. They didn't have Christian values. But the culture that they grew up in said, well, if you really love somebody, then you need to have a job before you marry them. You need to know how to talk. You need to be respectful. You need to, all those things. So what happened from the sexual revolution was when people started to give themselves away and share love back and forth, it actually created the opposite effect of what they thought it was that we were gonna live happy, we were going to have better lives, you weren't gonna have all this. And I don't know that anyone actually thought that, like, oh, we're gonna live. But the effects of it was fatherlessness. In the 1950s, less than 5% of all children born in America were born out of wedlock. Fast forward to 2017, that number is up 1,700%. We have a serious problem in our country. We have a serious problem in our world. And it comes out of this free love, no responsibility, this idea that you can do whatever you want as a man and there's no repercussions of it. Now, when you think about it, a couple hundred years ago, if you were born to the Kikikyu tribe in Africa, when you became of age, when you got to the age where you were old enough to be considered a man, you went through a rite of passage. As a young boy, getting initiated into manhood was the best day of your life because it brought you in with the elite of society. And that gave you access to things like honor and Therefore, you, if you were honored, you could be married and you had a responsibility. So, you know, maybe you were a part of the group of guys that got to hunt and that got to fish and that got to provide for the tribe. And the more you provide for the tribe, the more honor you get, the more honor you get. When you fast forward and you take a look at the 1960s and what's happened is, well, why would a guy want to take on responsibility when he doesn't get anything out of that, like he doesn't actually earn the privilege to mate by taking on more responsibility. It doesn't make sense. Why would a guy go and pick up a load and work hard every single day when he could go get it for free? And you start to take out, you start to remove the incentive to be a man, the incentive to be manly, I should say, to not tame yourself, but restrain yourself, to delay gratification, to pursue honor. And when that was removed from society, we created a culture of selfishness, of short-term gratification gives way to long-term reward. And that's just wreaked havoc in us today, in us men today. It's wreaked havoc in our families 
And because of that, we're struggling as a society. It's up to us to change that. You know, the role of a man is confusing. If you type in to your browser right now, what does it mean to be a masculine man? Holy smokes. It's not gonna be pretty. Uh, with, with the phrase toxic masculinity being thrown around and just the view on manliness, I mean, you can't figure out, do I wanna be a man or do I not wanna be a man? And does, do you have to be James Bond to be a man? Are you, does, do you have to be the rock? Like if you're a man, do you have to be, be able to drink motor oil? Does a man have man skills like fall a tree? If you can't fall a tree, are you a man? I mean, there's not a lot of guys falling trees anymore. But kind of, it kind of feels like we're in these two camps, right? You have like this manly camp where you work out every day, which I like. I think working out every day, I mean, you don't get built like this by not working out. Drinking motor oil, changing your oil, falling trees, yeah, crushing life. Okay, that's manly. That's what men do. Well, and then you have this whole other thing of like, this other camp that's like, no, you don't want to be manly. You, because a manly man is a toxic man. And the, the truth is, is that we gotta be right in the middle. But if unless you have a father showing you what it means to be a man, well, good luck because masculinity is something that's poured into a man. It's not something that a man's born with. Uh, maybe I could say it like this. Manhood is something that is given to a man through other men, like the initiation. It's not something that a man is born with. If you didn't have a teacher, society's teaching you today. 100%. Women are defining what it means to be a man. Afraid men are defining what it means to be a man. Unhealthy and healthy men are trying to define what it means to be a man. And the result of that is confusion, is chaos. You don't know if you wanna be He-Man or if you wanna be James Bond or if you wanna be The Rock or if you wanna be you, because maybe being you doesn't seem manly enough. I think it'll be helpful for us to actually go through and really break down what does it mean to be a man? What is masculinity? What is manhood? Because all those definitions are really important. Let's start with masculinity. Masculinity is a set of attributes and characteristics and virtues that come from and through testosterone. So for instance, because testosterone is flowing through my veins, I have this very masculine beard. Uh, when young boys, uh, when their testosterone levels begin to rise, they become more masculine. They become faster, they become stronger, their voice deepens, that's masculinity. Just because you are a masculine man, a masculine human being, doesn't make you a good or bad man. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. When you look at male, what does it mean to be male? I think this is important. I, it's kind of interesting because I don't even think five years ago I would have explained this, but what it means to be male, well, you got to look at your chromosomes. You actually have the chromosomes that make up a male. 
you have testicles, and you have a penis. And that basically makes you a man and makes you male. Now, because you're male and because you're masculine doesn't make you good or bad. Doesn't make you toxic, doesn't make you awesome, doesn't give you privilege to have a wife or kids. It just means that's what you are. You're welcome. When we look at manliness, now I want to really break down manliness because manliness kind of, it embodies the virtues, the ethos, the character of a man. See, a manly man, when somebody says, be a man, man up, what they're really saying is, be virtuous. Live like you care. Be responsible. Pick up your load, bro. Pick up your load and carry it. Because a manly man gives more than he takes. Look at Jesus. A manly man lays down his life. A manly man uses his strength to strengthen others. A manly man shows emotion because he also wants to receive emotion. A manly man understands how to restrain his strength in order to lend strength to others. I mean, when we talk about what it means to be a man, a manly man, it has everything to do with the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, kindness. Oh, I would throw excellence into being a manly man. It's not about how much weight you can lift. It's not about how far you can throw a baseball. Although, I can throw a baseball pretty far. It's not about whether you can hunt animals or you like it or you don't like it. It's about the virtues that you've embraced, the life that you've lived, the, the, your permission to go, God's put me on a path. He's placed me here for a purpose. I am going to do what Jesus has called me to do, to lay down my life for the benefit of the world. When we look at a manly man, our perfect model is Jesus. If you're going like, what does it mean to be a man? Look at Jesus. Because there's been so much confusion, we have what I call man boys. These guys that grow up, but they never grow older and they never grow wiser. They've not left behind the childish ways of being selfish, of wanting momentary gratification. And, and I'll say this, like, you know that you're teetering on that line and this might hurt somebody, but it's okay. I've, I've had to confront this in my life. You know that you're teetering on that line when you chase short-term gratification, when you give up long-term reward for short-term gratification. When you think about it, like, that's what my sons want to do. My young boys, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, if I said, hey, do you want a dollar right now or a dollar 25 in a week? I want a dollar right now. Okay, son, when my son Evan was three or four, if I'd have said, I'll give you this big quarter right now or $2 in a week and a half from now, he's gonna take the quarter every time. Why? Well, because he doesn't know how to do cause and effect. 
he doesn't also know how to think through like, what do I really want for my life? I really want $2 worth of spending in a week and a half. Nuh-uh. My son is wired for instant gratification. Part of me being a father goes, hold on, delay that. Do you really want to sleep with this woman right now and acquire the responsibility of that? Yes, it would feel great to have this sexual experience, to have this emotional experience, this intimate experience. But is that what you really want for your life at 18, at 20, at 21? Or do you want this long-term thinking, this delayed gratification? Okay, man boys don't have that. By the time you're 40 and you've lived like a man boy, you've lived selfish, you don't have anything you're proud of. You're not proud of yourself. Therefore, your self-talk's very negative. You're not proud of the things you've earned because the way that you've earned it, we can go on and on and on. But most of that's because we didn't have fathers. Nowadays, a handful of us have had an actual real mo role model that we can look at and go, all right, this is how I want to live my life. Most of us, I feel like, are running around with the big truck or the slammed car or the instant gratification to try and prove that I have what it takes. You know, what my dad gave me when I was young, the confidence that I could complete a task, the confidence that I could conquer a challenge, the uh, discipline that says you're worth it, quit doing that. You're better than this, don't talk to yourself like this. Don't treat yourself, okay, there's a reward in following what my dad's telling me. There's a reward in staying in line, it's the honor he, he set us, he set me on a path of learning how to receive the honor and the reward of being a man that carries a load. When my dad was young, his, his dad drowned in the Anderson Dam when my dad was three years old. And so my dad really grew up without a father. And worse than that, my dad grew up with very abusive men, uh, really, really painful. And I think you'll hear some of his story later on in this uh, course. But my grandfather was my dad's role model. And because of that, I was passed down this incredible identity. See, my, my grandfather, although he wasn't a Christian, he taught my dad how to work. My dad would be like 13, 14, 15, and in the summertime, he'd go to uh, Oakdale, California and work on my, grandpa, my grandfather's farm. My grandfather had peaches and he had pecan trees. And my grandfather was like this, this man's man. I don't know if you've ever met a farmer before, but farmers are awesome. They're like, they can do anything. My grandfather, my dad would tell stories like my grandfather would be welding and he would pick up the piece of metal that he was just welding on and hand it to my dad to look at. Well, my grandfather didn't realize that the metal was really hot or didn't even think about it because his hands were so calloused. It was like having gloves on. Or my grandfather could weld anything. Or, I mean, we just had this like crazy work mentality. But one of the things that he instilled into my dad was this idea that a man is only worth what he can work. Now, I remember my dad telling me that when I was young. He wasn't saying, son, you're only worth what you can work. But he told me, this is how my grandfather looked at life. My grandfather, his ethos in life, his virtues or his values were really rallied around what can you produce? 
I mean, a man gives more than he takes. You know, my dad never went, gosh, what does it mean to be a man? No, because he showed up to the farm and my grandfather said, hey, you're picking up half this log. Hey, drag that chain down here to the tractor and chain it up. Hey, come over. I mean, he knew. He didn't know how to take care of a woman because of my grandpa, but he knew your role was to produce. If you grew up on my grandfather's farm or in ancient Rome, your view on manliness wouldn't be that much different because it hasn't changed that much until the 1960s, really. It would be work hard, protect, promote, provide, put your full effort in, take responsibility for your life. Doesn't matter if you lived in ancient Rome or if you grew up in the 1950s, it's basically almost all the same. Now, when you look at the Bible, because I think that it's important to talk about the biblical view on manhood. We can look at Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image after likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that crept upon the earth. And God created, this is important, God created man in his image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's super important right there, especially for where we're at. God made man male and female. And God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and over every, every living thing that moved upon the earth. When you look at how God created man, you can see Man was put on this earth to rule, to produce, to take responsibility and manage. Man in God's eyes is very much a leader. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Well, you have to be responsible to do that. I want you to take what's been given and multiply it. I want you to cultivate God very much is looking at man going, hey, bro, your role is to be a contributor. Your role is to be responsible. Your role is to manage all these things, to give names. You see Adam in the garden and he's naming. He's giving names to all these animals. Well, what's he doing? He's giving identity. He's giving them an actual identity. And your role from God's eyes is to be a leader. From God's eyes is to be uh, someone that can step up and say, I'll take that responsibility. I'll cultivate the earth. I will plant a seed, water it, tend to it, be responsible for it. I'll pick up my load and carry it. I bought a home a couple years ago. I've never bought a home that had a sump pump in it. And some of you are going to, are listening to this and you're laughing right now because if you need a sump pump, which is basically a pump that goes underneath your house, I've learned that's not a good thing. And it's not a good thing because it means that you're gonna have water under your house throughout the year. Well, the problem is the time of year when I got water underneath my house and really needed that pump to pump out the water was the worst time of year to be under my house. It's wet, it's rainy, it's cold. 
And throughout the year, like, oh man, if it was downpouring really hard, my wife would be like, I don't think I hear the pump on it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't know about you guys, but there's just like certain things that I don't want to do. Like crawl under my house in this really crazy tight space, crawl my body up to the sump and get in there, crawl through the water to see if it's pumping. It's so sucky. And the, the problem with my house is the, the original owner didn't install the sump pump correctly. And so, and I'm not like an expert. And I kind of cut corners in the sense of like, I didn't want to pay the man to install it. So I YouTubed it. I mean, that's what we do, right? We take responsibility and we YouTube that trash and then we pay for it all year long until we finally get it right. That's what I did. The first year that I lived in the house, I think I crawled under the house four or five times in a matter of like two months. Ended up having to completely repipe the sump pump, completely dig a new hole under the house. I mean like restructure that whole thing. That's my responsibility. Even from God, like God's looking at me as the man and he's going, Jay, your responsibility, what it means to be a man is that you don't go, hey babe, I'm not sure if the sump pump's working well. Can you crawl under the house? Like never, could you imagine asking your wife? If you're married right now, you're doing the same thing I'm doing. Like I would rather smash my big toe with a hammer than to ask my wife to crawl under her, the house. Seriously, honest to God, I, I, there's like 90 things I would rather do than to ask her. The role between a man and a woman is so much different. And I, I know there's a lot of confusion today. A woman can do anything a man can do. Maybe, I don't believe that that's all true, maybe. But what I do know is the emphasis on the responsibility of a man is different than the emphasis on the responsibility of a woman. And the sump pump's a good example of that. Let me give you another one. If a, if a burglar breaks into the house, am I gonna be like, hey babe, I think somebody's in the house. I'm gonna stay here. Can you go check it out? Never, never one time. I'd rather stab myself in the leg, maybe, than to send my wife out to look and check to see if we're okay, why? Well, think about it. If I do encounter a threat, if my wife encounters, if there really is a threat, I'm best suited for it. I have the testosterone flowing through my veins that has made my muscles strong, that makes me fast, that, that adds somewhat to my aggressive nature in order to address that threat. When it comes to taking risks, I'm best suited for it. Can my wife not address a threat? She absolutely can. Could she not crawl under the house to address the sump pump? She could. Should that be her role? No, I'm best suited for it. I'm, I am the better part. I'm the better player in that game, in that role. And when we put women in the role of men, when you have a woman raise a boy without a man, it's not that she's doing anything wrong. Gosh dang, she's doing everything right. 
she just can't give a man what a man can give a man. When you put your wife in a role that you should be in, well, it's not that she's doing it wrong. She's doing it right. She's just doing something that she shouldn't have to do. And to me, there should be no confusion over what's a man's role. I'm not, I don't come in my house after work and be like, okay, the man's here. It's time for me to take control. No, my wife and I make decisions together. My wife doesn't feel like I'm domineering her. I'm using my strength in the area that I'm great at. And sometimes we have to figure that out, right? And she's using her strength. She may be a better business person than me. She may have a better business mind than me. That's great. Let's use her strength for that. When it comes to certain things in my life and in your life, I'm better suited for it. And those, we'll talk about, we'll specifically break those down uh, as we go on this journey. But I want you to know as far as what it means to be a man, you have a specific role that's different than a woman. And that's okay. That actually allows us to value women. And when we go, oh, we're the same. Well, how do you, how do you celebrate a woman's success? Or how does she celebrate your success if we're all the same? We're not. We're unique. We're created in God's image and for a specific purpose. And that's beautiful. You know, a man gives a woman a seed. His sperm, she incubates it. She gives you a baby. A man brings home the bacon, a woman makes a meal. It's a metaphor. A man builds a house, a woman makes it a home. Now, some people are gonna be like, I do all the cooking. Great, it's a metaphor. I'm saying there are differences in, the, in what God has given a man a man, I, uh, my grandfather is a great example. My grandfather didn't wake up in the morning and go, hey, babe, I don't feel like plowing the field today. Could you just start it? No. My grandfather went, my role is to go break ground, to go break ground and plant that seed. Now, his wife had a different role. Could she not run a plow? She probably could. Should she? No. Completely different role. It's important that we recognize the roles that God's given us so that we can step into that. But right now, I want you to embrace the idea that we're not all the same. And that's actually beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. Your mindset, the aggressiveness, it's not bad. The desire to pursue, the desire to uh, build, the desire to create. Do women have that? Absolutely. Sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's less. What did God give you? It's unique. As a man, it's unique. We want to embrace that so that we can use that to bless the world around us. I love how John Eldridge talks about the heart of a man. He says, every man needs a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, an adventure to live. And I think that that's 100% true. Now, do I think that a woman needs a battle to fight? Mm, not the same way that a man does. Do I think that she needs a relationship? Yes. It's completely different. You know, as a young boy, my sisters could dress me up. They could put a dress on me, put makeup on me. But still, every stick I picked up was a gun or a sword. I was just created like, like no one had to tell me, Jay, Find weapons, be dangerous, use 
your aggressive, no. Like they didn't, they didn't have to tell me that. I was just by nature, the way I was built was to explore. I wonder what's over there. I wonder if I could, um, gosh, when it came to pursuing relationship, I remember my dad did such a good job at pulling out of me what I wanted to hide in my embarrassment. Every time I'd get into the car, he'd be like, hey, is there any girls that you like? And I'm like, uh, you know, at 13, you're just like, do I really want to talk to my dad about this? But my dad began to like pull out of me what was really in my heart by talking about it. And it was that, the beauty to fight for. He would tell me like, hey, it's okay to want to take a girl on a date. It's okay to want to hold her hand. It's, you should want to pursue a woman. You have a sex drive. And your sex drive is higher than a woman's sex drive. And you use that sex drive, that thing that you've been given to pursue. Not to overtake, but to pursue to win. That thing that's been put inside of you, that's a healthy thing. You're going to have it for the rest of your life. Psalms 144 is this incredible verse. It talks about God training your fingers for battle, your hands for war. It's like this, it's David talking, talking about how God has made him a warrior. If you start to look through the Psalms and go, how ha, what desires has God put inside of a man? You're like, oh, adventure, 100%. To fight and protect, 100%. To win a battle, no question about it. We have been designed to strategize, to build, to win and as we get into more in detail of the role of the man, you'll actually understand why. Why was that put in my heart? What function does it play? But I want you to value the things that are in your heart that may have got you in trouble before. That's not an evil thing. That, that needs your strength to be restrained. It needs some restraint to it. But the, the, the stuff that God's put inside of you, if you push down your masculinity, even your desire to compete, your desire for adventure, your desire to be dangerous. I'm not saying be damaging in your dangerous inside of what God's giving you. I'm saying if you suppress that, you'll act out in other areas because you're not, you're not actually fulfilling the role that God's given you. And you'll feel like this wandering, weak, depressed. It's like taking a horse that was meant to race and locking him in a cage. And then going, why does he look down? Why does he feel that? I feed him every day. I water him. I take him on these walks. Well, a horse wasn't meant to be put in a cage. A lion wasn't meant to be put in a zoo. Why is he depressed? Well, because he was built for something. Well, that thing he was built for is scary. Yeah, he's gotta have it restrained. He's gotta have it under control. You know, horse unbridled can be scary, but it can be the most incredible thing given focus, given power, given direction. And men, we were built for a purpose. We were built to provide a safe place for our children to be born, a safe place for our wives to flourish, a safe place for us to be able to share what's deep in our hearts. We were built on this earth to protect, to provide, to promote those around us. 
And I want you to really focus on what has God asked me to do. I want you to really focus on who God has made you to be as a man. And ask yourself, like, have I been given a promotion into manhood? Have I, have I been brought in in a way that celebrates my manhood, my masculinity, who I am as a man? And if that's not the case, just spend some time with God and with the men around you to talk through, what do I do right now? Lord, would you bring such an awakening of who you created me to be? Because this is really what we're talking about, of who you said that I am. I'm a man created in your image to do good works, to, to spread life and hope and love to those around me. Man, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each man that's watching this. Lord, I ask that you would break off lies about them, that they're toxic, that women need to be afraid of them, that they are their past, that they're these unbridled, untamed boys. I mean, some of you might, you might be sitting there going, I feel like a man boy. I feel like a, a man who's never grown up. Lord, I ask that you break shame off of them. In Jesus' name, that you change the way that they see themselves right now. And God, that you would uh, bring fathers into their lives. And even as they go through this course, Lord, that they would find themselves awakening to who you've created them to be. Lord, that you'd break the boy off and bring the man out in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Brave Co. Podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.